The advice in this podcast is general in nature and does not constitute medical advice. Always consult your doctor if you are concerned about your child's health. We recommend always following the safe sleep guidelines. In the spirit of reconciliation, Dr. Fallon and Dr. Law acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and the continuation of cultural, spiritual and educational practices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. They pay respect to their elders past and present and recognise that sovereignty was never ceded. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Brand New Little People, the podcast that's all about early parenting, including sleeping, crying, and and settling, and all the other ups and downs that come during those first few years of parenting. I'm your host, Dr. Fallon Cook, and I'm here with my colleague, Dr. Laura Conway. Hey, Laura. Hi, Fallon. How are you going? Yeah, good. We're doing things a bit differently this time around, aren't we? We're recording our podcast using a new platform, which means we're actually capturing video at the same time. So we should be waving to those that do tune in (laughs) on the video. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of exciting. You'll be able to actually see what we're doing um, rather than just listening in. Um, You'll have the option. Um, Laura, I was having such a giggle before because we, we got a follow-up email from Michaela who listens into our show every week and she sent through some questions and she was having a really good laugh about, um, in our last episode, we were talking about some of the, uh, really outdated advice <laughs> that we're often told by well-meaning grandparents, yes. um, but that just does not work anymore or is you know, yeah. some of it's downright dangerous <laughs> absolutely yes oh my god yeah I think we had uh we, we had some um really um outrageous um comments from parents about or grandparents about dummy use I think last week um yes yeah. <laughs> that's right well Michaela was saying um she was told that her 11 week old would benefit from having some orange juice <laughs> Oh, of course. Yeah, that's uh, what all of the nurses and doctors say these days. <laughs> oh, gosh, it's funny, isn't it? It's just such, yeah, things just change so much. Yeah. Um, yeah, a yeah, whole different do. generation. So, yeah, listen, um, for people who uh, are having a giggle about um, that advice, about to give your 11-week-old orange juice, if you have been told some howlers by people in your life do email them through to us because I'm sure that we could probably have this as a segment every week Fallon where we just giggle over some crazy advice that our um, our members have been told. I reckon we could too I think yeah it would get plenty of funny things being sent in so do send them in. Um, I know I was told that with my firstborn if he's crying and he just won't stop just take off all of his clothes and put him on the floor and just let him get it all out. <laughs> this is a tiny little newborn baby. Hmm, oh, I don't think you'll be babysitting. Yeah, because that, uh, that's uh, really going to achieve some soothing, comforting that that baby needs <laughs> and strip them off naked and leave them on the floor. Yeah. Gosh, we wouldn't do it to an adult. Why would we ever <sighs> do that with a baby? Yeah. Uh, it's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and look, the other thing we've been really hearing a lot about from parents, and we had a bit of a talk about this, um, you know, to ourselves in terms of what we wanted to do this week for the episode. Um, We wanted to talk about, we get a lot of emails from parents, and we see them in the clinic as well, excuse me, where they say, 
we failed sleep school. Mm. And every time I hear that, oh, my heart sinks because it's it's really negative language, mm. I think, that is like I understand where parents are coming from. They really do feel like they've failed at sleep school. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I don't think anyone should feel like they're failing. And I thought let's yeah. unpack that in this episode. Maybe we start by talking a bit about what a sleep school actually is Mm. because it is a a nickname that parents just tend to use um, for early parenting centres. And there's so many different formats that a sleep school can take. So we thought, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what sleep schools actually do and let's talk about why they work for some babies and toddlers Mm -hmm. and why they really don't for others. Yeah, mm. yeah, definitely. Um, we're often um, the last port of call for families, aren't we, Fallon, where um, they come to see us in clinic and they say, we've been to the council-run sleep school, we've been to a private sleep school, we've had sleep consultants out, and we or our baby has failed all of them. Um, mm. And, yeah, as you have said, it's um, really negative language um, and you can just see the weight on parents' shoulders when they're feeling like they have failed something. Um, mm. And it, often it comes on the back of, you know, before having children, a lot of the parents that we see are, you know, what all of the families that we see are highly competent, um, employed, uh, independent mm. uh, beings. And now they have a baby that um, is not sleeping in the way that they should be sleeping. And so the idea of success and failure is kind of carried through from when the time mm. before children um, and um, they may still be using that terminology um, after mm. they've had this um, poor experience. Um, So, yeah, we are just going to say, no, none of our parents have failed sleep school. And if um, anyone is listening, um, is feeling that they have failed in some way, please just try to put that um, language aside. Um, Mm. uh, It simply hasn't worked for you and your baby. Um, So if we think about how you said, Fallon, let's break it down. Um, Let's think about what a sleep school is, first of all. Mm. So a sleep school, um, they can be um, public, they can be private. Um, If there are... um, If it's a private one, they may be residential where you and your partner and your baby go and stay um, in a hospital kind of setting for a few days. Um, And there are nurses there on hand and sometimes psychologists and social workers too um, who support you through um, learning about your baby's sleep and then how to teach them to settle independently in their cot or bassinet. Um, some local councils across Victoria also run day-stay programs where you might just go to a community health centre for a whole day. And again, you're there with um, normally maternal and child health nurses. Um, and they will, again, show you some tips and tricks for how you might wow. settle your baby um, to sleep. And then the other, um, another type of sleep school may be um, independent sleep consultants who you employ to come to your home and they might do the settling for you overnight or with you overnight. Um, And all the way through to um, consultants who would just have a phone call with you 
um, and just give you some tips over the phone. Have I covered most mm. of the what is captured yeah. by sleep school, do you think, Fallon? I think so. I think most parents would be thinking of sleep school as being the type of program where you go usually for about five days. So you're there for quite a while, a few days in a row. Um, and, you know, I think quite often parents who end up going and doing that kind of five-night sleep school are the ones who are really quite desperate and mental mm-hmm. health might be really impacted. So your GP might have told you um, to go along and get that support and they can be game-changing for families because it means you have a set of hands there helping you. Mm. Um, some sleep schools make parents do all the settling and others do most of the settling for the first few days and then parents take over. There are different approaches that are used as well. Um, but they can be a real lifeline for parents mm. who are really struggling with their mental health who need that really intense support. Um, yeah. yeah, and essentially what those places are trying to do, usually the key kind of goal is to get those babies settling more independently. Mm-hmm. Um, so often parents are there because they're needing to give their babies or toddlers a lot of help to fall asleep mm-hmm. and they're springing awake all night long. Mm-hmm. They've got very fragmented sleep um, and that's the crux of the difficulty. So they will often work quite quickly. So a lot of parents do struggle with this. Sometimes it's... Um, um, you know, making big changes very suddenly and mm-hmm. some parents feel very uncomfortable with that and mm-hmm. it just doesn't sit right with them, which is fine. Um, but I think, you know, those those sleep schools, they're really trying, they've got a few days, mm-hmm. you know, to really turn things around for the family. So um, they're probably feeling quite a lot of pressure to really um, mm-hmm. get things done pretty quickly. Um, but why don't they work for some babies and toddlers? I think that's the really key thing. We mm-hmm. see families who say it was fantastic, absolutely life-changing, and it just worked really, really well. Um, and then many other parents will say to us, we did it. It worked maybe for a week when we got home, and mm-hmm. then it absolutely fell apart. Um, and when we talk through what they're doing, usually the key thing that needs to be addressed after sleep school is a timing issue, like a sleep pressure issue, or there could be a circadian rhythm disruption. So while sleep schools do a lot of work around settling, Mm -hmm. there's not so much work done with the circadian rhythm. So if you've got a baby or a toddler who has, for example, a very, very low sleep need, um, often when they're in that sleep school setting, they're working towards a baby's average sleep needs. And Mm -hmm. the average can be quite a lot higher than the baby that you've got, you know, in front of you. Yeah. so for those families, they might um, come home from sleep school trying a, a schedule that um, would work for the average baby of that age, but for theirs yeah. it just doesn't. And so sleep pressure starts to drop really low. Um, babies can't maintain this high level of sleep that's being expected of them. And so, you know, they're, they're being settled when they're not tired enough. And we all know that settling a baby who's who doesn't have that enough sleep pressure and who's mm. not tired enough is well it's my least favorite activity it's not fun you know they're going to cry a lot you're never going to get them to sleep and then suddenly parents are spending hours trying to settle their babies they're not self-settling so then they're starting to use more hands-on support Um, and that's typically when parents say oh we failed sleep school but I would say you didn't fail sleep school you just didn't quite get the right fitting advice for your baby. Yeah. So your baby might have learned some skills in self-settling, but there's a little bit more tweaking to do to make sure mm. it sticks. And I think yeah. that's what we help families with quite a lot is figuring out, well, let's look at your individual baby um, and what are the missing pieces here? Why mm. Why isn't that um, self-settling actually lasting? 
Yeah. Um, yeah, because mm. often the sleep schools are using evidence-based approaches um, mm. and they generally, um, particularly on those residential programs, which are, you know, three to five days, they are having to use the quicker approaches because, as you say, they mm. want to, their pressure is on for them to um, create some huge improvements in your baby's sleep by the time that you mm. leave. When they are working hard on um, helping to show you these evidence evidence based approaches to settle your baby in the cot, um, and they're doing this for a number of other families who are also there at the same time, they're just picking mm. the average or above average amount of sleep that a child your baby's age would need, um, mm. and just in those first few days that you're in the sleep school, you may find that your baby is actually going to sleep um, more easily and more readily um, with your help and with the nurse's help because you're using one consistent approach persistently and calmly every settle. Mm. Um, and this is on the back of your baby potentially having had really fragmented sleep for a number of months before you go into sleep school. So mm. then whilst they're there at sleep school, yeah, it might look like it's going quite well. Mm, they're um, playing catch up. They're playing catch up, exactly. And mm. then you come home and let's say your baby only has a 12-hour sleep need, but the schedule that you've been given by um, the staff at the sleep school is aimed at a 15-hour sleep need baby. Yeah. This baby has caught up on all their fragmented sleep. And now it's mm. like, <laughs> I don't I'm ready think to so. party. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and because... You can throw that schedule out the window, mum and dad. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And because yeah. your babies have seen that you persist and you're really consistent, mm. they can go, oh, no, you're going to be trying to put me down. And I know you're going to be doing the same thing again, and I'm not quite ready. So then they're going to become very frustrated and unhappy about it. And that's when mm. we start to see that escalation in that crying behavior. And that's when yes. parents then go, oh, my goodness, um, perhaps now I actually have to go backwards and I'm going to rock them to sleep again because now they've learned to hate the cot. They like the cot at sleep school, but they yeah. hate the cot at home. And the thought processes, you know, just go round and round and round. And before mm. you know it, you're back to rocking your baby to sleep, um, co-sleeping um, or you know, bed sharing again. And that might have been something that you had worked on stopping. Um, and you're mm. saying, yeah, I've failed. Um, but what we can do is come in and, and what Sonbel can do is come in and help you work out what your baby's sleep need is. And then mm. in all likelihood, the approach that you were using at sleep school that was working whilst you were there will begin to work again yeah. when it is done at the time that your baby is ready to go to sleep. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really key is after you've gotten home, then you really dive into catering to their unique sleep needs and that will help keep things on track, absolutely. And that's often what I tell parents as well. I think too, you know, no matter what your experience was with sleep school, I mean, some parents say we didn't make it through the first day. It just was not our vibe and we yeah. left because it's just not not what we want to do. Um, and others say, look, we did everything and we found it the approaches were fine, but then it just didn't stick when we got home. Whatever your experience was, sleep school's not the end of the road. And I yeah. would argue that just in going and trying, you learnt some really important things mm -hmm. about 
not only your own expectations and feelings about what approaches you want to use and how you want to parent, but you've learned about your baby and how they cope in that different environment. And Mm -hmm. maybe you learned that actually they can self-settle, but we just need to do a few things to really make it a bit easier for them or mm-hmm. um, you know, iron out the timing difficulties. So it is not failing. I'm sure it feels like failing to many parents, but I would say you've learned a hell of a lot in that environment mm-hmm. that you can use to guide your parenting going forward. It's probably going to be a really um, a big, a key moment, a learning moment of um, yeah, what you can tolerate and, and what you're likely to want to do with your baby um but don't feel like if sleep school didn't work that there's no other option Mm. um you just need to be really looking at the individual um in front of you yeah Um, yeah, that's something we do quite a lot and you can certainly do it doing the sombell program um or seeing us in person um Mm. either option you can do that so yeah and if you did find Mm. that the approach um that the nurses or staff at sleep school used um, with you and your baby just was not the right fit for you. Um, yeah, that's you've learned that that isn't the right fit for you. With Sombell, you can read through the range of approaches um, mm. and then say, okay, well, I know I'm not going to like that one because that one is quite similar to what they were doing at sleep school. Um, I don't think that I need that one because they're not feeding to sleep and I don't need to introduce lots of sleep associations. Maybe there's somewhere in the middle. Mm. Maybe I'll use one of the um, in-betweeny um approaches and that feels much better yeah absolutely you've got to explore multiple options I think that's why um you know we get a lot of interest in what we're doing from psychologists and pediatricians and GPs they're seeing a lot of people who seem to be offered polar opposite approaches if they've got people in their ear saying um, feed your baby to sleep until they don't want it anymore. You know, keep mm-hmm. doing all of these things and they'll stop doing it when they're ready. Um, you know, very much that approach of just do whatever your baby wants. And even if mm-hmm. you're absolutely at the end of your chair, that you somehow just have to keep going with that. And they would argue don't change anything. And then on the other extreme, we've got people saying, just put them in their cot, walk away, let them cry a bit, they'll be fine. Strip and them naked, Fallon. Put them on the floor and walk away. You know, really extreme, extreme polar opposites. And of course, parents feel utterly confused because neither one of the other parents are like, well, I'm not, I can't keep waking up six times per night to give my baby this tiny little suckle to get back to sleep because it's killing me. Yeah. Um, And I know they're not hungry and I just Mm -hmm. want some help to stop doing that. Um, But they also don't want to put their baby down and just leave them crying and walk away. Of course. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, I think, why yeah so many health professionals come to us because we we're the middle ground yeah (laughs) we've worked really hard to go let's apply some psychological principles about how babies learn and their behavior um and thinking about what parents want and actually come up with some sensible options that are um respectful of babies and of of what parents want and Mm -hmm. I mean, we should have been thinking about it like that from the very beginning because I don't see that there should be room for anything other than just respectful and sensible approaches that give, you know, really valuable scaffolding to babies who are trying to adjust to doing things a little bit differently Mm. um, or toddlers who are doing things a bit differently. Um, Yeah. mm. Well, on that note, shall we turn towards some parent questions because we've got some really good ones this week. Yeah, we do. Um, Shall I read out the first one? 
Yeah, go for it. Okay, so um, we have our first question is from Andrea. Um, and Andrea says that she was previously trapped under her five-month-old baby <laughs> when she contact napped all day, but now has her settling in her cot with some patting and humming. Oh, well done, Andrea. That's great. Yeah, good job. Um, Andrea has made it onto step three of the slow fade approach. So Andrea says, when starting the slow fade approach three weeks ago, she calculated her baby's sleep needs to be 13 hours with a note that maybe she needs a little bit more because she was a bit grumpy in the afternoon. So now she's three weeks into the slow fade approach and her average sleep need per 24 hours has dropped to 12 hours and her grumpiness is at an all-time high. She currently sleeps nine hours during the night with two breastfeeds and the remaining three hours during the day are only short catnaps. So she can tolerate an hour and a half to two and a half hours awake and she takes five naps during the day with an occasional extra power nap. Goodness me, that's a lot, um, Andrea, for a five-month-old. Yeah, um, mm. okay. So Andrea says she would like to help her baby get more sleep during the day to alleviate her grumpiness, but her short naps make it quite hard. She usually wakes up grumpy and trying to settle her in the cot tends to end with crying. Oh, gosh, it sounds really hard, Andrea. Mm. Andrea knows that phasing out the patting and humming to have her falling asleep independently seems like the logical solution to help her link those sleep cycles during the day. But she says she's struggled to phase it out completely as the humming on its own doesn't seem to settle her. She asks if we have any advice on how to brave that last step of the slow fade approach. Um, mm. Yeah, she's got some other questions here. Shall we try? Shall I read the whole thing out, Fallon? Do you think, or should we answer that? Uh, part look, first? I think let's start with that first one because I I feel like there's a lot of parents who do the more gradual approach and who get to that very last step and say, "Oh, this is really hard to phase it out." <laughs> now you're phasing out padding or humming. Um, and I so often say to families that now is the time to revisit the approaches in the program because your baby's used to falling asleep in their cot and now moving to something like the supported accelerated approach can be really effective. And that's where you're still going to pat and maybe harm or say a phrase or something, but you're going to do it periodically rather than mm -hmm. trying to gradually reduce it. Sometimes if for some babies, it just works better to, um, it might be every 30 seconds or every minute, you know, really brief intervals where you're still staying nearby, but you're only just doing the padding really briefly. So it might be an approach you didn't like the sound of initially, mm -hmm. um, but go and read about that approach now, because that can be a great way of really quickly reducing that hands-on support. Given that she's only waking a couple of times overnight to feed, she's doing some good long stretches of sleep where we know she would be waking up, but she's putting mm. herself back to sleep. So she's actually got the self-settling skills, but might need that little bit of encouragement to to use them. Yeah. I also mm. think that at five months of age, if she's having um, five naps during the day as well as an additional power nap, what we might be seeing or what Andrea might be experiencing mm. is that um, her baby's sleep pressure is never getting quite high enough um, at each of her naps for her to be able to go to sleep easily and then yeah. link a cycle um and i can 
utterly understand why Andrew would be worried about um, pulling back on the number of naps because she's described that her baby's grumpiness is now at an all-time high. So to, yes. to and it seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? It does, yeah. To say, well, mm. actually, I think what we need to do is reduce the number of naps. But for as mm. long as Andrew's five-month-old baby is having five naps a day, sometimes six, or like kind of five and a half if she's having that power nap, um, mm. it's um, it's going to be hard to build up that sleep pressure. Yeah. Yeah, every little nap is just taking the peak off that sleep pressure again. Mm. And that can mean it's impossible for a baby to actually do two sleep cycles because they just don't have the sleep drive there. So even though, yeah, Andrew, it's going to feel really counterintuitive because you've got a really grumpy baby on your hands already, I would try stretching out. First, just trying to do four naps per day yeah. and stretching her out longer. Even if she's showing lots of tired signs, she will be okay. Try and stretch her out to just four naps, even if they are short naps, um, and see how you go. Because with that higher buildup of sleep pressure, she's much more likely for one of those naps to link those sleep cycles. And I think you're mm -hmm. right, Andrea. It's a combination of, um, you know, that final step of not having to pat and hum her to sleep is likely to help her to link those sleep cycles in the day. But like Laura said, also building higher sleep pressure. Mm. Um yeah, just because I think five naps is a lot. And I'd definitely even be thinking about moving to three naps pretty quickly um, yeah. after you've made it to four. So it's going to feel really scary at first and really hard to do. You might want to make sure you've got some support around you when you do go to make that change. Mm, and I'm just mm. looking at her next question, um, Fallon. So Andrea has said that she's thought about extending some of her short naps through contact napping. Um, she says she breastfeeds after sleeping to avoid her being distracted and she tends to fall back to sleep on the boob but will spring awake and cry if placed back in her cot. Would we recommend extending her naps on the boob? It seems like that could be a slippery slope. And she also mm. wonders if the sixth nap would help to ease the grumpiness but she also thinks that it may be counterintuitive when she's supposed to be dropping naps, not yeah. adding more. Yeah. I think Andrea knows, doesn't she? She, she knows does. what she needs to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, I look, I'm in two minds about extending a nap with a contact nap. On the one hand, I think, no, don't do it, because as you're working on self-settling, your baby's eventually going to have a try at doing it themselves. It might be super confusing if sometimes they're being, you know, fed or held back to sleep. Um, so for some families, that's what I would say, just avoid the contact nap. But then I recognize that for other families, when you're trying to drop to fewer naps, if you, if, you, if you just can't tolerate getting through the day because your baby is so cranky, maybe for your own well-being, you're better off doing maybe the, the first nap of the day, you make it a contact nap for that second sleep cycle mm. just to help you get through the day. Um, so I think there's no clear right or wrong. You could try either of those if you're finding that extending the nap with a contact nap is confusing your child and settling starting to get a whole lot harder, well, obviously you would stop doing that. Yeah, and maybe think about um, if extending the nap by popping her in the car or the pram. For yeah, the absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's really, really good advice. Mm. So good mm. luck, Andrea. Um, drop that, uh, definitely drop the power nap and definitely drop the fifth nap. Um, try and get down to four and then quite quickly get to four, um, three naps 
um, and just have faith in yourself. You've come so far. She's no longer needing to be on you to fall asleep. She's falling asleep in her cot with the patting. Um, And like Fallon said, she's linking lots of sleep cycles overnight. So you're nearly there. Um, Think about switching to that um, slightly quicker settling approach now that she's really comfortable in her cot. um, And hopefully you'll be at the other side soon. And send us an update. Absolutely. Yeah, you're doing such a fantastic fantastic job um and it's gonna feel yeah a little tricky at first but just know that there's hundreds of parents who've gone before you who also said I don't think I can reduce the naps and then they do and they're like oh my goodness that changed my life (laughs) everything's easier now yeah Um, so you will get through it it might just take a little bit of a um massaging along yeah yeah um we also had a question sent in from Sanya Mm-hmm. Uh, Sonia emailed concerned that her baby stands up so often in her cot that there's no approach for cot settling that could possibly be effective. Um, she'd like advice on what to do with her very active baby. Um, and Sonia has also tried a sleep school without lasting success. So I think this episode mm-hmm. will be quite relevant to Sonia as well. Um, we get this quite a lot. We were talking the other day, Laura, we might even add a lesson into the baby programs about um, what to do for those ones who are super active. Sanya's baby started pulling herself up to stand at six months of age. Wow. So yeah. that's, so that's young. an active baby. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Um, so definitely there's times when I know Sanya mentioned in her email that she really wanted to do a really, really gradual approach, mm. but she was finding that impossible because her baby will just roll away and stand up and then, you know, what do you do? It's, it's really challenging. Mm. Um, but sometimes we as parents, we don't get to do the approach that we would like to do because it just doesn't work for our babies. Yeah. And this is probably a good example of where a gradual approach just isn't the right fit for this particular baby. Mm. And we're doing something like the supported accelerated approach um, where you're giving lots of reassurance, but just intermittently. And Mm. when we say intermittently, we don't mean 20 minutes or something horrendous. Every 30 seconds or one minute, you're doing the same thing. So it might mean that every 30 seconds to one minute, you lay her down quickly. You might have um, some pats that you give her and a phrase that you say to reassure her. And then you sit back down beside the cot and you wait 30 seconds. And we know she's going to spring up really quickly at first um, and, and pull herself up. At the end of the 30 seconds, you repeat it again. And so that's where moving to that supported accelerated approach, even if it might not be the one you would have picked, Sanya, it might actually be the one that's going to work best for your baby. And it Mm -hmm. still means she gets a lot of support um, and a lot of reassurance and your continuous presence um, throughout the whole process. Um, But it just gives her that opportunity to see. I, I think so many babies who pull themselves up to stand continue doing it because they know that when I do this, um, I often get picked up really quickly and then laid back down and I can kind of play this Jack in the box game where I just keep getting back up and then get laid back down again. Um, and they know that it will derail anything you try to do. If I stand up, it derails what, what they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Um, so by waiting that 30 seconds or so, and then laying her back down, just sticking to one really consistent approach, really quickly she's going to realize there's no point in doing that they actually don't do anything different yeah it's Um, just so boring yeah so boring and she's getting 30 seconds or so to actually have a go at getting herself back down in a good position for sleep yeah um so that'd be the first thing I would think of but you know I was thinking too Laura don't you reckon there's a um you know a good chance that there is a sleep pressure issue here as well I think the ones who are really active in the cot 
sometimes they're not quite ready for sleep. Yeah, I think so. Um, Sanya, if you're finding that um, each time you go to settle your baby in the cot, that you're popping her into the cot and she's crawling around, rolling around, pulling herself up to standing. We see some older babies who are practically doing a jig, holding on to the bars, <laughs> and they're having a whale of a time. Um, wow. That really is telling us they are not quite ready to go to sleep. So I would be going back to double check um, what your baby's sleep needs are, um, log mm. her sleep for a week. We know that across the first year, sleep needs can drop quite dramatically um, for some babies. So um, always go back, check what your baby's sleep needs are and ensure that the um, day sleep and night sleep are in line with what your baby's sleep needs are. Uh, and then mm. there's more of a chance that when you pop your baby into the cot, she may still stand up because she likes it and because she has learned that if she keeps standing up, you um, it keeps you longer at her side. But with that higher sleep pressure and then having that really predictable, boring response to her, um, mm. those things combined might mean that the first time you use your settling approach, she might stand up 15 times in a row, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then she's with high sleep pressure, she's going to be really very tired and she's going to see, oh, mom's not doing anything different. This is really boring. I'm just going to stay lying down. And at that point, yeah. Sandy, you can start to extend your intervals um, and um, then, you know, giving her the opportunity to fall asleep as she's lying down. Um, so, yeah. Double check her sleep needs. Make sure that the that, that her sleep pressure is really high. Oh no, I've done that thing, Fallon. I stuck my thumb up, and now I've had it. <laughs> the thumb. I won't make the heart mistake. That's the other problem. We'll have hearts yeah. and balloons going across the screen in a second. When, yeah, we're not loving this whole new feature where you get the um the emojis pop up on the screen because we're such gesticulators, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting on my hands and I just literally move my hand and that was, <laughs> you I can't help it. Can't help it. Um, so <laughs> if you assure Sanya that your baby, you're popping your baby down with nice high sleep pressure and just be very boring and predictable um, when she does stand up. Mm. In all likelihood, you're going to start to find that um, there is a settling approach that will work for your baby. Hang on in there. You're not alone. Mm. Um, and you will find an approach that works, and your baby will start to go to sleep more easily at the start of the night. Yeah, those really active babies that often just need to be completely exhausted to really settle into sleep. And if you wait until they're really exhausted and then practice, um, you know, having them settle for sleep in their cot, after a while they get so good at settling in the cot, you'll find that they don't have to be quite as exhausted to do it. Yeah, they, mm. they build up that skill and then suddenly you can put them down, you know, when you see the first few tired signs and they're, they're good, they know what to do. Yeah. Um, so hang in there, Sanya, it, it will get easier. Um, we also heard from Loretta. Do you want to read out Loretta's mm. question? Yeah, so Loretta has a daughter who is two years and eight months old, um, and her and her partner are looking for help with her bedtime stalling behaviours and her recent overnight wakings. So um, Loretta says that her daughter started using stalling behaviours about four months ago. Um, and initially she needed um, her mum or dad to be in the room with her until she fell asleep, but recently she's they've been able to make some adjustments and are now going in and out of her room until she falls asleep. But that can take up to 30 minutes at the start of the night. Um, 
And then to add insult to injury, over the last <laughs> two weeks, um, Loretta says that her daughter started waking overnight, often twice, um, around midnight and again at around four. Um, and she wakes up screaming, crying. They go into her um, and it can take, again, up to 30 minutes for her to resettle in the middle of the night. They've ruled out all external factors. The temperature's fine. The darkness is fine. She's not sick. They mm. also feel that in terms of her daily route, uh, daily rhythm, they're feeling that they did have it right. Um, but she's napping twice a week at daycare. She's not napping at home, although she does sometimes have a power nap, which can be 15 to 30 minutes in the car in the afternoon. Um, she goes to bed somewhere between half seven and eight, and she's waking up at around seven. So Loretta's question is, what do we do about the stalling behaviors and the overnight wakes? She doesn't think that the hands-on settling approaches will work as ultimately their toddler does go to sleep without them in the room, mostly at the start of the night. Um, so they're at a loss. Help, she writes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we will. <laughs> Let's help Loretta. <laughs> Look, I would say, um, at, you know, she's coming up on three years of age. I think a lot of it would be driven by low sleep pressure. I'm sounding like a bit of a, a broken record on this one, but so often it is the real key to these difficulties. I would say the naps have to go, um, especially yeah. the little afternoon car naps. It might be that for you know a week or so, maybe even do it over the sort of Easter holidays is often a really good time to really work hard on dropping all day sleep um, just because people tend to be around home a little bit more. Um, mm. but yeah, I would say that she's just getting that bit older and the, the occasional naps are bringing down that sleep pressure. Um, and that's meaning more night wakes, um, and possibly just wanting them there a bit closer, um, simply because sleep pressure is a bit lower and often they want a little bit more comfort to get off to sleep. Mm. Um, and maybe thinking about separation anxiety as well, um, you can read in Sombell about separation anxiety and how to detect whether it's an issue for your child. Um, but it could be that, you know, if she's sometimes falling asleep and you're there and then wakes up and you're not there, that could be freaking her out a little bit mm. um, and making her feel a bit unsettled. Um, what sort of approaches would you be thinking of suggesting to this family, Laura? Well, if there is separation anxiety present, then um, I'd be thinking about using an approach that's respectful of that. So, Probably the um, parental fading um, approach. Now, do yeah. we call it parental fading in the clinic? Salon? Yeah, uh, in yeah. the in Bell. <laughs> yeah, parental yeah. fading is an approach that's actually in the section that's to do with settling toddlers who are in a bed. So, if mm -hmm. you're working in the cot section, just flip over to the section about settling in the bed. Um, the parental fading steps are a really great way of just gently building their confidence being alone in their room while you're gradually moving out of their room. Um, and it is very slow and, and very, very supportive. Yeah. So um, when um, mm. your daughter is going to sleep at the start of the night, then um, yeah, you just over um, probably about two weeks, you just increase the length of time that you're leaving for um, until she's so, so used to you leaving and coming back that um, she starts to fall asleep waiting for you to come back. So that would vary um, a bit from what mm. you're currently doing, Loretta, because it's just leaving the once and it's just that one time that gets longer and longer over mm. um, a period of time. Um, and that's if she's got separation anxiety. 
But if she mm. hasn't, and again, like Fallon says, read the section about separation anxiety and some bell. So if she doesn't have separation anxiety um, and is managing quite well with you going in and out at the start of the night, then I'd probably just be, um, I would check out the um, uh, the advanced accelerated approach just to put some mm. um, nice structure around the coming in and out at the start of the night and then using that mm. same approach when she wakes up overnight as well um, and that combined with um a really predictable um circadian rhythm where she's not having a nap anymore um rather yeah. than sometimes having it and sometimes not having it is likely to um result in her going to sleep more easily without taking half an hour at the start of the night like it currently is yes. and those two half hour waits in the middle of the night yeah, absolutely. I'd also be thinking about that bedtime too. If even when you drop the naps, if it's still taking, you know, over twenty minutes for her to fall asleep at the start of the night, don't be afraid to push bedtime later. So I think Loretta mentions it can be between seven thirty and eight pm mm. um, when she falls asleep. It might be that you make bedtime eight pm for a while, so you really know that there's definitely a good build up of sleep pressure, and she's really, really ready for that sleep. Um, yeah. But well done, Loretta. You're doing a brilliant job um, as are all the parents who have written in to us um, over the last week. I want to thank everyone who has also written us beautiful reviews. We've had some absolutely lovely reviews lately and Laura I can't help but think in particular of the family you saw in clinic who said they're so impressed by what you did with them they want to have a statue of you in their living room. And that's amazing. It speaks to what a great job you're doing with families. So well, I laughed so yeah. hard when they said that to me. And I told I told my children and my my children were like, oh <laughs> like, you're so lucky you get to have me actually in your room. Yeah, they've time. got the real deal. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's so lovely and it really does make our day when we hear the lovely, lovely feedback you've got. And of course, if there are things that you think, oh, I wish Sombell had this feature or I'd love to hear more about this particular thing, let us know. Like with the um with Sanya sort of saying, What do I do when my baby's standing up all the time? It made Laura and I realise, okay, we've had that a few times now. Maybe it's time we have a lesson that's just about that. So now mm-hmm. we will add that to Sunbell. So we're always looking to expand Sunbell and improve it. We'll update it with the latest evidence. We'll be adding new approaches as they become available. Um, you know, we, we aim to just provide the absolute everything, you know, that parents are going to need. Mm-hmm. So if you've got feedback, we would absolutely love to hear it. And you can always email us. It's just sombell at infantsleep.com.au. Um, and of course, if you remember and you've got questions, send them in because we love answering them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you to all the lovely families that make our day-to-day work just such a joy. Um, yeah. We absolutely love what we do. And I love making this podcast. It's such good fun. Yeah, and it's great <laughs> that we uh, we can see each other and other people can see us too now, Fallon. Yes. So, yeah. I know, no more podcasts in our pyjamas, Laura. Yeah, <laughs> we can't maybe. get away with that anymore. <laughs> I might have pyjama bottoms on maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And look, I reckon you can throw a blazer over a pyjama top and usually get away with it. So. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thanks, everyone. See you. Bye-bye. If you need help with your baby or toddler's sleep or settling, you need Sombell. Sombell is Australia's first online paediatric sleep clinic program for babies and toddlers aged 0 to 3 years. It contains all the best resources from the sleep clinics at Infant Sleep Australia. 
so you can rest easy and so can your child. To find out more, click the link in the show notes or visit sombell.infantsleep.com.au.